Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of a typical discuss. Wait a minute, strike. Strike, union power, <laughs> Norma Ray, pencils down means pencils down. Hollywood's a union town. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm holding the strike down here on Cape Cod. No, no one is crossing my line, my friend. I got eyes on the picket line. Are you out picketing the abandoned set of wings? <laughs> I'm first sorry, joke of the day. Alex. First joke of the day. <laughs> Do you think I love that you for that joke the set of wings was actually on Nantucket or wherever it was supposed to be? <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously we're in a strike. We'll be talking about it with our guest Justin Halpern later. We're excited to talk to him. Uh, here's some shit Justin says. Yes. <laughs> and of course, we had we did for you uh, listeners. We we gave you an emergency podlet last week with David Goodman, yes, filled with you, nuggets David. about the strike. So I, I don't. We don't have to talk about it up top. Let's talk about something else, Goldie. You got you yeah. got anything else to talk about today up top? Well, uh, you know, I know we're on strike, so you couldn't think of anything to talk about. So here's mine. <laughs> oh, easy, um, ro- easy, Robespierre. <laughs> couple things. <laughs> First. Uh, I was in the ER with another one of my kids. I've, I'm a oh, frequent well. visitor there. So now when I show up, you know, I'm like, hey, Jerry. Hi, Dan. <laughs> it's like when Norm, walks, when Norm yeah. walks into Cheers. Is yeah, walking they, into just, the they ER. all know me at Children's Hospital now. They're like, oh, no. he's back. <laughs> Good to see you. So this time, one of my kids uh, went to a sleepover, was dribbling a basketball, which somehow wound up bouncing up a little piece of glass that stuck in her eyeball what oh no and wow, so we had to pick awful. her up from the sleepover she was so upset uh you know and my wife i hate eyeballs and toenails it's just yeah, something about awful. me yeah. i don't want to deal with them <laughs> so she's got this little chunk of glass in her eyeball that she had actually by weeping so hard she had cried it out but then, Whoa. you know, we're wondering, like, does that mean we thought maybe the glass had gone behind her eye or yeah. or yeah. whatever? So anyway, the, of course, you know, it's never at noon. 
No. The the medical disaster is never right, at a nice course. convenient time where you're like, I'll just, you know, it's my lunch break anyway. I'll go to the ER at Children's and hang out and get something from the vending machine. It's like 9 p.m. and they're... <laughs> Your kid's all unhinged and you're right. unhinged. And so my wife, to her credit, you know, stayed. They only allow one parent in, by the way, now because oh, of COVID. That. So, oh, right. you know, no one wants the dad in there. <laughs> yeah. No, you <laughs> no need one's mom. like, you need mom. Yeah. No one's like, I'm hurt. Where's dad? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I want <We're>, my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one's ever said that. So my wife's with them and I, with, with my daughter. And I'm, I stay up. I don't know. Uh, I go to get them around 1 a.m. Everything's fine, oh, by the wow. way. Thank God. You yes. Know. So we I get know. home. And and just to preface this, before this happened, I'm as tired as I've ever been. Of course. <laughs> like there's, a, there's a lot going on. I'm not doing great. So then this happens. And normally I go to bed at 9, 30, 10. So now yeah. we're at 1, 1, 30. And uh, my daughter's in my spot in my bed with my wife. Oh. And so I'm in her bed and uh but i'm like okay i'm finally able to go to bed yeah i'll be fine <laughs> the dog comes uh, up oh no. next to my head oh and throws up <gasps> no immediately at 1 30 in the morning so now he's sick oh my god and so oh, then Lord. i change the covers which i hate doing in the middle of the night but as a parent you've you know, because yep. you piss your own and shit your own bed. You have to do this a lot. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so I change the covers. At 2.30, he barfs again on the oh, new no. covers. Oh, boy. And then I'm like, am I going to be the guy who sleeps in dog barf? You know, <laughs> you're and I'm too like, tired. no, I'm a human being with dignity. <laughs> yes. So I change them again. But so that's going into my date. So, but the next day I have scheduled, uh, <laughs> Very important. A video analysis of my golf swing. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. yes. This morning. is the real stuff. Now. So, you want to be tired because I've that. decided it's it's not some middle age crisis. I don't actually want to be good at golf, but yes, it is. It is. It, it isn't. I'm going to explain why I'm doing this. So my wife, you know, has this nice group of friends, and 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 there are these mom groups on Facebook that are very socially fulfilling, where they go. And they talk about how horrible we all are, and they yeah. get enormous <laughs> gratification out of trading stories about what pieces of shit they are. And they have yeah. a sympathetic ear. But guys don't really have this, right? Like the, this mom group, uh, this was a few years ago that, you know, the mom group was very successful. And so some of the moms had the idea of like, well, why don't we get the guys together in their own group? And the guy group, it lasted maybe four days. And, and literally, like the posts on the guy group were like, does anyone know how to change a diaper? Like, they're so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> and then I, no one wanted to be in it. And no one wanted to have oh But God. So I've recently had good friends and friends who I don't get to see very much invite me to go golfing with them. And I want to be able to do this because it's a way of yeah. maintaining a connection. Yes. But I'm so bad. Yes. That I understand that. That I can't do it in a way that doesn't embarrass me and anger everyone how slow I'm going on the golf <laughs> yeah. course and how bad I am. So the only golf experience I've had is when I was in high school. One time they took out a bunch of doormats and <laughs> like a bunch of old irons and they showed us like, here's how you hit a golf ball. And so I, I learned that. And then about during the last writer's strike, actually... I got the book Ben Hogan. It was called like Ben Hogan's Five Lessons or something. And so Ben Hogan was a golfer in, I don't know, the 30s or whatever. Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah. I read this in book and I did the lessons and then I went to the driving range a few times, but that's all I know about golf. And so then to buy clubs, I was like, I went on eBay and I bought Ben Hogan clubs. So nice. like <laughs> Arnold Palmer would look at Ben Hogan and go, this is an old piece of shit. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. so yeah. like literally all my equipment is just Decades totally old. archaic. And, Decades. I'm, and I've read a book that was written in the 40s about how to swing a golf club. So I go to, <laughs> to get my swing videotape and this guy like looks at my clubs and it's, it's just like, what? Why are you here? Yeah, is this a joke? Genuinely puzzled. And in my mind, like, you know, I work out and stuff and I'm going and I've I've always been decently coordinated. I'm not an athlete, but I've always felt like I'm I'm fine. Right. And right. and you know, the, the other thing about Ben Hogan was he was in a massive car accident. Huge. Yeah, Huge. famously. This is like the only yeah. fact about Ben Hogan. And then he came back and, and, and then he won came the back US and, he, Open. and he was pretty oh, good. So I Get my swing videotaped, and I, I in, my, in my mind, the swing looks a certain way. I, when they showed me my yeah. swing, <laughs> I swear to God, I looked like Ben Hogan a minute after the accident. <laughs> like, I, I could not believe it was like an, a, an undead skeleton. <laughs> like, I'm bald. I, I was like, because I, you know, I see video of myself. I'm not naive to how I look. I, we watch clips for the podcast. And I think, sure. I, I, like, I'm always like, I look fine. Like, I look how I look and I feel pretty good. Dude, I look so bad that it no. has sent me into a depressive spiral. Oh, that no. explains the robe. You're, you're wearing yeah, a robe Well, the robe today. is we're on strike. And yeah, that's I'm your not, solidarity yeah, robe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're wearing yeah. a robe. As but, I, called I mean, earlier, do, you, do you, either you golf? No, I've only been to the driving range. I used to. Uh, my grandfather was quite a good golfer. He was like, you know, club champion at mm-hmm. the Jewish country, Belmont Country Club outside Boston in the 50s. And so he used to take me golfing. And I, I kind of liked it. I enjoyed it. And I felt like I was decent then i didn't play forever and then i started playing right before like maybe eight nine years ago i would go to the uh, ranges in koreatown and i would start playing and i kind of got into it but like it's like anything i didn't i don't commit i don't think i'm good enough anyway so it's just like why why bother right yeah i just want to be able to you know, go with my friends and not embarrass myself. But then when I know how I look now and that that's what <laughs> yeah. everyone is seeing and I and I have to take a lot of strokes, like a right. yeah. hundred at least. <laughs> Are you taking lessons now? I am going to go back to this video place and, and, and to the guy's credit, it's this place called Golf Tech. Uh, okay. Within an hour, like my after swing, Oh. Was way better than my before swing. Oh, good. Like there good. was some progress, so I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that yeah. I can get to the point where I shoot under a hundred and don't embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah, God, but shooting under a hundred is going to be a tall order. I mean, that's tough. You have I mean, go- he has goals. I, you know, yeah. we have a lot of time now. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I can't work. <laughs> yeah, now it's all golf. Well, the, one of the pleasures you'll get from playing golf is you'll get uh, to play with John Viner, who's not asked to be a part of this <laughs> podcast, but he's an incredible golfer, can hit the drive the ball like 280 yards wow. off the tee. 
his first bad shot, he goes completely off the rails. <laughs> you yeah, get to I've, watch him just fall apart. I've played with him before it. and, you know, seen clubs hurled into the woods. <laughs> yeah. Sand traps savagely attacked as though yeah. they were being Amazing. subject to a mob beating. <laughs> he just broke a driver over his head like Bo Jackson with a bat. <laughs> just picture a handsome guy in pink shorts going totally mental. <laughs> yeah, that's him. That's our John. And maybe... Maybe you'll get to play with Tom and John, Tom Devani and John, which is also oh. a great pleasure. Yeah. We've talked about this a long time ago, but Tom is the biggest asshole in the funniest way on the golf course. It, you know, you're supposed to be quiet when right. somebody's in their backswing. <laughs> Tom will use that time to clear his throat or open and close his Velcroed glove. <laughs> yeah. like, it's unbelievable i mean the good news for me is i mean that a distraction like that can't even make me worse <laughs> right. i'm not good enough for it to throw me up like there's no swing for it to throw off because what i do i i gotta show you this video i yeah, mean we it, have to see it we have it, to see it so we can post it yeah it yes. it, it is like an undead it's like if it's if a skeleton was also unhealthy. <laughs> I love that you're back in the skeleton area. It's so skeletal it's for you. It's so bad. So are you like, is it like you're a skinny Charles Barkley? Is it that kind of swing or? I'm so hunched. And yeah. then the club is way too close to my body. So it has nowhere to go. Oh. So it's it's just raised above my head. And then brought down in such – and in like my mind, I'm not lifting the club that high. But, like, in the video, <laughs> I've got it, like, cocked like a baseball bat yeah. right. behind my ear. And then I bring it down with this incredibly ugly and awkward chop motion. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I kind of follow through. The follow-through looks okay. Oh, good. Yeah. That's the yeah. beginning. What, what, once you're done fucking it all up. But what they do is they split you screen your swing with a, a professional golfer swing. <laughs> right. And they just good. start pointing stuff out. I don't know. It, it's, it was pretty interesting. God. Cool. Well, we, we certainly wish you luck with that. And we yeah. do want Thanks. that video so we can post it. Yes, I, will, I will get it for you. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um, and I guarantee that swing will be funnier than what we have coming next, which are Johnny Jokes. Whoa, from Hollywood, where nothing is happening for the next year, here's Johnny! Woo! <coughs> oh, I hope boy. it's not that long. Well, I had these done 
a few days ago, thought I was sitting pretty, just reread them, am sitting ugly. Here we go. <laughs> well, uh, director, film director, Denis Villeneuve said in a recent interview that the second part of the Dune saga was filmed entirely in IMAX. Yeah. Uh, the director hopes this will give the viewer a totally immersive falling asleep experience. Oh. <laughs> Boring movie. Imagine 3D sand. <laughs> yeah, oh, can you picture it? <laughs> uh, a law firm in Texas is being sued by one of their own lawyers after he claims he was fired for being gay. Uh, the firm is pushing back, saying they didn't know he was gay. They just knew he loved quashing subpoenas. Oh. <laughs> quashing subpoenas. Uh, very Alec joke. <laughs> That's and, pretty good. Thank you. Here's, here's something to ruin it all. As, <laughs> as part of the San Francisco ballet season, they will be putting on a version of Swan Lake with all plus-sized ballerinas. Oh. Uh, the troupe says they are excited and they're looking forward to getting out there in their three threes. Oh, <laughs> I can see your face. You're having a hard time seeing it. Oh, all right. Sorry about that. Three threes. And finally, thank God. Those are good. Uh, a leading U.S. oncologist stated in a recent interview that oral sex is a leading factor in the recent explosion of throat cancer in women. Uh, you know, whatever I can do to keep my wife safe. <laughs> <laughs> Take that it away, Johnny. Crop. I, that yeah. was a very good crop. <laughs> Lucky. Okay. Uh, well, <clears throat> after rumors of ill health, actor Jack Nicholson attended a Lakers game, his first public appearance in over a year. And uh, his fans were relieved to see he still looks like a complete psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if you heard about this. On Saturday night, four UFOs were spotted hovering for several hours over the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, apparently, they were waiting to see if their buddy could get them into the club. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> medical news. There is a national shortage of both Adderall and Ozempic. Yeah. Uh, the government is warning all citizens to be on the lookout for fat maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a nice story. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Jackson's former pet, Bubbles the Chimp, celebrated his 40th birthday Whoa. this week. And uh, Bubbles said it was a relief to only be blowing on candles. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> you did it. You did it, you son of a bitch. Oh and I, I got a, a norm. And finally, we got a, a norm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This week, the Pope, the Pope, <laughs> went on a secret peace mission to the Ukraine. Because who gets more respect in a war zone than an elderly virgin? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was good. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Guys, we have a fantastic and timely guest with us here today. He created the wildly popular, followed by millions, Twitter page, Shit My Dad Says, that was then turned into a CBS sitcom, creator of many shows, and he is now the showrunner of the Emmy-winning Abbott Elementary. Folks, please welcome Justin Halpern. Justin, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for that very nice intro. You could send that to my parents. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's interesting you bring that up first, because we're going to talk about the strike, because we're recording this on the day it all went down. You're on the WGA board, so we want to get... Uh, your take on the whole You situation. also have the most to lose because you're actually on a successful show. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yes. See if you can come up with a new chant that's like, strike, sort of, strike, shorten, strike. Listen, please. if this guy can strike, the rest of us can strike because right. there's stakes for him. I know. He's actually on something that's good, popular, and critically acclaimed. What is that like? Um, yeah. So, uh, Justin, in in reading up about you, and we talked a little bit about this before uh, we started recording, you are the rarest of birds, a a San Diego half-Jew. So (laughs) your your dad is Jewish, and your mom is Catholic, which I find weirdly, and, and you can talk to this, but I think Jews and Catholics have a lot more in common than people discuss in the open. I just feel like... There's sort of a a lot of the anxiety uh, and neuroses are shared between Jews and Catholics. Did you find that to be true growing up? Yeah, they both like deeply hate themselves and yes. also are always worried about money. Uh, yep. so, like my Catholic mom, they, my, both my parents grew up very, very poor. So they, but like that was, you know, I think that there, there is, there's so many similarities to it. But it was funny because my mom's side is Italian. And my dad's side, obviously Jew. And when one time we were like at a um, family reunion for the Italian side and my dad was talking to one of my, like my Italian side's very Italian. And he was talking to one of my Italian uncles and he was like, you know, there's a lot of actually Jewish blood in Italians. And my uncle was just like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, it's not. So I think for whatever reason, they can't find the common ground, but it's there. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Oh my God. Yes. And when you say Italian, because there's, there's, as you said, there's anxiety, there's self-loathing, there's, uh, and, and also food-based Italians and Jews are very mm. like, everything is sort of centered around where are we eating? What are we eating? When are we eating? Yes. Um, 100%. And yeah. like, what? yeah, it's, it's, everything is food-based. It's totally true. <laughs> yeah. So growing up in the San Diego area, was that did you move there because your dad, who is a doctor, is a doctor? Did you move there because he had to move there for a job? Or how did you end up in, in the San Diego area? 
Well, my dad was in the Navy. He was a doctor in the Navy. He was actually oh. in the in the the Tonkin Gulf incident, the boat that like started the Vietnam War. Allegedly. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, he wrote a book like uh, basically saying the government lied about how the war started. Yeah, oh, wow. so that's that's the big that's the big rage. They because the give us the the thumbnail. It was like they said they were fired upon, and then the whole war started. Yeah. So the thumbnail is. That boat, the USS Maddox, is in the Tonkin Gulf. They say they're fired upon, and then they fire back, and the war starts. But my dad was on the ship, and he was like, we fired on them every night for seven nights. They never, <laughs> they like never fired back. Wow. And then finally, he's like, we hit something big. We don't know what we hit. And then they fired on us, and it got, it like, you know, came really close to the boat. And then they're like, it's wartime. Let's go. Oh wow. And, and, now you've, and now you've branded him as shit my dad says. So his <laughs> credibility is completely gone. <laughs> yeah, I like to reduce him to his lowest form. Oh his prior accomplishments, the way he served his country none of that matters he has funny bon mots that made me rich and that's what he'll be <laughs> oh and you hit goldie's phrase that pays with bon mots he loves that um so basically the u.s is sort of like biff tannen of the world like we're going around just bullying and then when it happens to us we're like what did we do um maybe do you do you know this much because i had heard and i don't know if this is true i don't know if you'd heard this but I had heard that the the captain or one of the higher ups on that ship, the Maddox, it was Jim Morrison's dad. Did you ever hear that? Wow, I did not <laughs> hear that. That's okay. I gotta ask my dad about that. I did not hear that. Ask him. Yeah. Ask him. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because Jim Morrison famously claimed that his parents had died in some horrible, you know, roadside accident, and then it turned out they were both alive and well and his dad was like a naval captain my dad would have known him because he was an officer my dad was an officer because he was a doctor he went through he went through uh med school and stuff so he was an officer i do know my dad thinks the doors suck <laughs> <laughs> your dad would have known him because he probably treated his clap well that's yeah that's what my, my dad was like uh that's what he said he said like most because he was only in action for nine days because that boat was then pulled after that attack and he said that that was the majority of his time in Vietnam was just like treating clap. Oh my, that's <laughs> hilarious. And also ask your dad maybe if if he could identify, oh, that was that officer who always wore leather pants. Maybe that would, maybe that would be him. I mean, um, you're going to wind up with a story like, Jim Morrison's dad? Yeah, I saw his dick. It's going to be like... <laughs> Dad, right. there, are, there are Italians here at dinner. You can't say that. How rewarding. <laughs> um, so I guess that answers my... So dad is still alive and well and saying shit. Yeah, he's, he's, he says less of it, but he's, uh, he's 87. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still lives in San Diego. Still lives right next to the naval base where I grew up. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he occasionally tunes into the things that I do. And, yep. uh, you know... <laughs> Um, what does he think of all of it? He's he. My dad cares about horse racing. <laughs> um, he likes baseball and horse racing. Yeah, and those are if it's not in that world tangentially, right. he's not paying that much attention. And he, he's also like a very old socialist, basically. Like like so, if it's Good not in him. those three worlds, he's not like really paying attention. Because we right. we had very similar dads, and we, I, you know, just full disclosure here is um, this was probably about five years ago now. Justin and I had a bald guy date, 
I don't know if I approached you or you approached me, but we we said, let's have dinner sometime. We went out to a lovely restaurant, um, you know, and when people see two bald guys together, of course, they made us eat in the alleyway. And, <laughs> out of the garbage list. You know, it, it took five hours to get anyone to bring us anything, whatever. But we had a, had a lovely time. But we have very similar backgrounds. My dad's passed away. But I, I'm wondering, like, you know, my dad was in the military and then he was a doctor and he he was supportive of what I did, but I would say he was not singularly impressed by it. But you've been so successful. Does your dad kind of give it up for you or is he just kind of like, eh, you, sh- you could have been a jockey? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a 6'2", so I couldn't have been a jockey. But um, he, does, he does say that the greatest athlete in the history of the world is Secretariat. I agree. They, <laughs> I do. agree wow. with that 100%. That I tell your dad, I... I my favorite thing is at least once a year, I will watch Secretariat at the Belmont and weep. He does. Oh my God. That's the only time I've seen my dad cry. <laughs> yeah. What? It, it, but I, I totally get it. There's something so beautiful. And I love the, the quote. I mean, that just I, when he was being whipped. No. He knew if he didn't no. run even faster, no. he'd be mercilessly he, beaten. I mean, he did it, not it just need to be whipped. So that day. inspirational. Hey, I'm need the, to watch the, this. The, the, trackside observers said I saw a peg, I believed in Pegasus that day. Wow. His, his oh, then it's all worth it. <laughs> if some scumbag with a cigar in his mouth believed in Pegasus. Some de- he did have a cigar. Degenerate. <laughs> he did have a cigar. One time I was like, it was like I was like ten and at breakfast, and my dad was reading the paper, and he just said to himself aloud, "33 and a third lengths." That's it. <laughs> the amount of distance that he was replaying it in his head. It was the amount of distance. Secretary won by in that. Yes. In that wow. Oh, it's my one of my favorite quotes. If I ever read a book, which I won't, because I hate writing, I'm too lazy. <laughs> I, I might make the title a tremendous machine because I am not one. But that was the term that the announcer right. came up with on the spot when Secretariat was moving, moving, moving way ahead. He said he's moving like a tremendous machine. I love that. Yeah. Um, so your dad and I have that in common. To answer your question, I think, yeah, like, I definitely think he's, he's, you know, I, I, he, he, he's said multiple times, he's proud of me. He, you know, he, he, he's into it. I mean, he was, I played baseball for growing up my whole life and I played in college and he loves baseball. And to his credit, when I realized I was not going to make the major leagues and I, I sort of got injured and I quit he was like, look, as long as you're doing something that you're actually giving a shit about, if it's not baseball, I'll support you. And he did. He really did. That's I mean, he, he must like have been good because San Diego, I mean, yeah. that, and in college, that, that's a year round and that and the university there, there's real major leaguers. He must have played with actual people who made it. Yeah, yeah. I played with a bunch of Mark Pryor and uh, um, a bunch of that's probably the big one. But yeah, I mean, I was like a middle reliever in college. So I was like good for oh, the – if we were walking in the Americana, I would have been the best one there. But like I think <laughs> college, you know, there was a lots of guys way better than me. What What was your walk-on music? The, you, know, you know, it's funny. So I was like trying to be funny. And uh, and they and I would put songs that I, you know, thought would be – like I, I, I came out one time to Any Way You Want It. Which that would be a fun <laughs> message. Like Rodney and Caddyshack, right? <laughs> yeah. The one I always wanted to do if I were a major leaguer would be Natalie Imbruglia's Torn. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just slowly, in a very depressed state, walk up to the mound 
<laughs> Inspiring no confidence in your teammates. I love that. Your teammates yeah. would be shaking their heads. So any way you want it, that's a good one. That's maybe, a good. Maybe some tradition from Fiddler on the Roof, something like that. <laughs> Fuck, I should have done that. That would have been amazing. What was the best moment of your athletic career? Uh, probably giving up a home run to Chase Utley. <laughs> um, in retrospect. Gosh. I you know I I, th- I threw I threw two no hitters in high school. Oh wow! So maybe wow! That. Wow! Yeah, that's awesome. And were uh-huh. those se- those were seven inning games in high school? Yeah, you actually want to know something crazy about my dad and those games. So my dad made every single game I ever pitched except for two games. In those two games, I threw no hitters. Oh no! Oh, there, there has oh, wow. to be a connection. You had to be more <laughs> mentally free. Had to I be. think so. You had to be less pressure. Oh, that's such a bummer for him, though. Yeah, because I. But by the way, he missed them both for the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> no way! Oh, wow. When you throw it a, a no hitter, I feel like they need to uh, apply a rule to this because they always screw it up. Like the catcher doesn't know whether to jump into the pitcher's arms, and the pitcher doesn't know whether to jump in the catcher's <laughs> arms. So there's this kind of like awkward standstill, and they both kind of jump, and it's very unsatisfying. But I feel like. The pitcher should jump into yes, the catcher's arms. To make the catcher catch. Right. Pitcher yeah. catch. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's true. A catcher is usually a, a sturdier guy. Yes. You know, yes. Somebody who can, who was, you know, also somebody who it feels good to be embraced by a catcher. <laughs> yeah. You feel, you feel safe and taken care of in a catcher's arms. <laughs> right. And then the catcher should carry the pitcher off like they've just been married and it's a bus bunny. <laughs> right. <laughs> The end of an officer Officer and a gentleman. gentleman. Yeah. No, but so, Justin, did you, uh, were you mobbed by your teammates both times? Um, kind of. I think if people jumped around, I think it was high school. So I think some people were like high and didn't even know it happened. Um, People were, yeah, I think we jumped around and that was it. It wasn't as like great as I thought it was going to be. Right. I love that. I love that. Oh my God. Better thrills. From show business or from athletics in your athletics, life? a thousand percent, not even yeah. close. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. Well, t- let's not talk about because I have zero basis for comparison, having had none in either. <laughs> <laughs> no, Goldie, come on! We wrote for the Oscars. <laughs> the got- big thing, the big thing that happened to us was it was Hugh Jackman, right, who took off his shirt in front of us. Yes. <laughs> No, and I, I think I've told the story on here about uh, Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes, that, okay, tell it again, though. Tell it again. That was so funny. Yeah, so like we were writing for the Oscars and they, you know, everything you picture about it, nothing, none of it happens. Like we're literally in a room that is a, a closet with some kind of furnace in it yes. or something windowless. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they, there's so little space that at one point they say, like, Hugh Jackman has to run in here and do a costume change. And so he's <laughs> taking off his shirt and he's like, how's it going, boys? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so at one point I, I had to use the bathroom and I go out and the bathroom's right across the hall. And they had just finished doing the 10th anniversary to the movie Chicago Tribute. So pointless. And because the, the producers of the Oscars were also the producers of Chicago. Okay. It all felt so cheap and fake. So okay. I walk out in the hall, and in between me and the bathroom is a just offstage Catherine Zeta Jones who's like huffing and puffing from dancing. <laughs> and then Michael Douglas, her shorter husband, who's looking up at her, and, he, and he's going, 
I, I respect you so fucking much. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, excuse me, um, can I get in the bathroom? He's like, I have so much fucking respect for you. It's like, just a weird marriage moment. I'm trying to picture, like, in my marriage. I like, know when that would ever happen. Yeah, just to kind of, like, darkly tell my wife, like, it's a threat that I respect her so fucking much. <laughs> I love that moment. Yeah. No, so we, we got... Anyway, no, that's the highlight of my career. Uh, yeah, we got, we got no real thrills from that. And by the way, you, you're shortchanging the Hugh Jackman moment because he came... And, and listen, there are all these sorts of rumors out there about Hugh and who knows. But like he came into that room and changed, not just his shirt, changed and yeah. stared us down the whole time. Like, he yeah. never broke oh. eye contact with our group. Yeah, oh, and then I, I changed. <laughs> yeah. I t- I t- the clothes he discarded, I put on. Uh, it was like, bring your son to work day. His clothes were a little big. Um, They're just so- like, go in this room of disgusting animals and take your clothes off and show them what a real man is and then leave. <laughs> That was an undercurrent of the whole. Yeah, thing. Oh, he was he was beyond ripped because he was full Wolverine ripped. Yeah. So oh was, man, that was like yeah. HGH like ripped. So yeah. yes. meanwhile, we're like eating Lorna Dunes, <laughs> <laughs> eating Stelladoro breakfast treats in a corner. Um, so Justin, let's get to w- what must have been a thrill uh, for you was uh, so Twitter and now Twitter is now just a weird place, but. Back in August of 2009, when you started your page, Shit My Dad Says, and it just it just took off to the moon. I mean, what was that like? Because, uh, you know, going on to Twitter and experiencing some success on there was very intoxicating for me. And I can only imagine because you experienced that 20-fold. So what, what was that like for you, the initial sort of takeoff on Twitter? Well, it was funny because I was living at home with my parents at the time. And how old were you? Um, 28, 28. Um, and I was like writing for magazines, doing like freelance writing for magazines and unsuccessfully trying to write screenplays. And, uh, and, and I would use the, anything my dad said that was like wacky that day, I would use it as my like G-chat, you know, the status. You remember yeah. when you used to be able yes. to do that? Yeah. So, yeah. And then a friend was like, you should throw this on Twitter. And I, I didn't even really even know how to use Twitter or what it was. It was like just when it was starting. It was, yeah. um, and uh, the only person I knew who had a Twitter page was like CNN and Ashton Kutcher were the only right. two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so I threw it on there just to kind of keep a record of it. And it had no followers for like a week. It had literally zero. And then I don't know what happened, but somebody retweeted it, and it got and I had like three hundred followers after a day. And I was That's like, huge. "Holy shit! Like <laughs> this is insane!" Like I was calling people. Being yeah. like, <laughs> I've made it. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the next, but I didn't know how to check at replies. I didn't even know that was a function. Um, I just <sighs> the follower count. And then the next day it was at three thousand. Wow. And then I was like, "Oh, whoa! Something's happening." Yeah. And then the next day it was at 30,000. And then what? that's when I called somebody and I was like, what the fuck is happening? What's yeah. happening? And somebody and was like, check your at replies. And I was like, what? I don't know what that is. And they're like, the <laughs> at symbol, click it. And I did. And it was like flooded with all these, you know, seeing like, remember like follow Friday was a thing and stuff. Yeah, sure. And I think it was at, when it was at 3,000, I realized that Rob Cordry had retweeted it. 
And oh, yeah. that was the thing that like started to just, cause then by the end of the week, I was at 300,000. Wow. What? Holy wow. shit. In yeah. a week. In a, in a week. week. In a and week. And then were you like, dad, say something funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, cause Please. I hadn't said anything to him. Cause I didn't think oh. this was like worth saying anything about. And I was getting weird shit. Like it was like, it would, somebody would message me like, hey, I'm a segment producer for Jimmy Kimmel. Will you and your dad come on? But it was like oh. through Twitter. And right. all right. this kind of crazy shit was happening in my ad replies. And I was like pretty overwhelmed and re- didn't really know. And also I hadn't said to him, hey, I'm taking things that you say and I'm putting them right. in like public forum. And so it, it at about 300,000, then I started getting like, uh, there was a book agent that reached out and was like, hey would you want to turn this into a book? And I was like, well, actually I'm a writer. I'd love to write a memoir. And he was like, settle down. Like, <laughs> like let's just take the quotes and put them in a wall. Yeah, let's, let's make a list. Yeah. A yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, can I at least just try to like write something? But before I do this, I have to tell my dad. And then I told him and like, you know, he's, he was 70. Imagine telling your elderly parent, explaining a, what Twitter is, which he had no idea. Yeah. B about followers. And then, so it didn't even really register for him. He was just like, I don't want to do anything or talk to anyone. He was like, that right. was my thing. That's a not even you. Especially not me. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that was like kind of how, how it took off. And, and, uh, and it was funny because from there we started getting all this incoming from like, I would get like heads of networks calling my like cell phone. Like at, at one wow. point, um, Jason Biggs, I got an email from Jason Biggs, someone I obviously did not know or, or anything. It was like, can I take you out to dinner? And I was like, this is one of my friends like, fucking with me or something. <laughs> like, I want to play you in this show. It was, it was wild. Um, and so we, my partner, cause I had a writing partner who we'd been working on like features with and stuff for a long time. And so then we kicked him to the curb. No, 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 no. <laughs> we went and we still my partner today. Um, oh, we, uh, we sort of had a manager because we had been working unsuccessfully in features. And that was kind of like how we started out. Wow. What a, what a crazy week that must've been. And I love the idea of your dad saying, I don't want to talk to anyone (laughs) that that's his one condition. It's like, I didn't save Jim Morrison's dad's dick to go and (laughs) to be dragged on Twitter. Yeah. It's just the rarest of things though. It's like a comedic jewel where it's, it's pure, it's real. Yes. It's short. It's easy to understand. And it's a it's a basket that keeps giving. Like, I mean, I think that's like what we're searching our whole lives for is this thing that, you know, like y- everyone thinks their parents say weird shit. You branded it perfectly, unwittingly. Yeah. Really, yeah. by calling it shit my dad says, as opposed to like, you know, Gary speaks or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of bad versions of it. But you just, you know, succinctly and, and comedically framed it. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where today you go, well, you should remake it. It's still a good idea. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I agree. And like I, that, that meteor, that week must have been so crazy. I love that you didn't know about at replies. And then when you <laughs> opened that, you must have been like, holy shit. Like I, yeah. Yeah, that was really crazy. The funniest thing I saw though in the at replies is there was one, and he, this guy did this for a month straight every day at around one o'clock, which was probably his lunch break. Is uh, he would just at reply me, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Every single day at around like w- between one and one ten, I would get a, an at reply. I just said "fuck you" from this one guy. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Wow, I love people who are so committed to their anger like that. It's just that's a great thing. Um, so- Did you go on TV with your dad ever? No. So this is the, the the best part. The closest I came is is Letterman asked to have us on, and I was like an enormous Letterman fan. Like I yes. fucking loved Letterman, and I, and so I was like, because my dad had said no to everything else, and I was like. So I came to him and I like had a whole spiel. I was ready to get, I gave it to him being like, look, I know the other stuff is the other stuff, but this is Dave Letterman. Like this is the Letterman show. They're like asking to have us on. Like I would do anything to go on Letterman. And my dad just goes, well, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it. He never went on. He's no Johnny Carson. Oh man. Um, (laughs) That's so funny. So now tell us a little bit about, so you have this fantastically popular Twitter page. People are coming at you uh, from the entertainment industry from all sides. How did it turn into the CBS show? Break down that how that started and, and how it sort of unfolded. So we sold it to, we knew we couldn't, we had never worked in TV before. So we knew we weren't going to run this show or like even create this show, really. Um, so we sort of went around to like bigger producers to be like, Hey, would you want to show run this run it? And I remember before we did it, we were like, look, my partner and I made a pack. We're like, the one thing we don't want it to be is a multicam on CBS. Like it could be anything anything else, but it's just like, let's not do that. It'll be, it just will not turn out well. And that was what it ended up being. We, we sold it to Warner brothers and, uh, we they put showrunners on it and the showrunners were good guys i mean like it was just like it was a my dad like curses and he's kind of like he's sort of nuanced in his way he's he shows love and it's like it's not something that's easily translatable to a multi-camera sitcom yeah um but we did it with william shatner shatner signed on to do it yeah that's huge um which was amazing working with shatner for a year he oh. would just tell the most insane Hollywood stories that were like I've ever heard. They were they're fucking insane. And, and so that that was that. So that show ran one season on CBS. So we, we did the pilot. It got picked up. And uh, and the best part about that is Shatner is actually kind of a little like my dad in a way, like it's just a goofier <laughs> version. And at the pilot taping, my dad I had to talk him into coming because I was like, hey, uh, my dad wanted Gene. He was like, I'm only interested in Gene Hackman playing me or nothing else. <laughs> that sounds exactly like my dad. He loves Gene Hackman. Yeah, too. dads love Gene Hackman. And obviously Gene Hackman was not going to play my dad. <laughs> yes to that. Um, so my dad didn't give a shit about Shatner. And so I talked, but I talked him into coming to the taping and we were like at the pilot taping of the show. And it's like, you guys know, it's like all the network heads are there and it's like sort of really tense. And the first scene, we're taping the very first scene. Uh, and all of a sudden I just hear someone talking during the, the scene and they call cut and they're like audience, but I don't know who it is. And then I just, they, they, it goes again. And I just hear someone go, I wouldn't fucking drink that. <laughs> and, I, and it was new and instantly it was my dad. I could hear his voice. Because Shatner was drinking in the, in the pilot. He has like a glass, he has a bottle of gin. And my dad doesn't drink gin. He just drinks bourbon. Uh, right. Bourbon. Kentucky. Yeah. And I had right. to like go over there and be like, hey, you need to shut the fuck up. Like, you know, <laughs> like uh, this isn't your living room where you can talk back to your TV. Like we're taping. There's mics above you. You can hear getting audience laughter and stuff. 
Um, and we like got into it in the front row. <laughs> See, that should have been the show. Like, I know, you I know. guys were making the show about him and he doesn't care, but then he only cares when he sees what it is. Oh, yeah. it's so, it's so, that is such a funny story. By the way, if you want to go out with that it's, at some point, if we ever work again, uh, we should just go out with that. Just an, us trying to get, <laughs> to get us, my dad. Yeah. You, a memoir about you making <laughs> yeah, shit my dad says. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe we could actually get it on a network where you could say shit. Right. And that would be helpful. Because I'm yeah. sure I, you know, as, a, as a, a fan of your Twitter page, which was so funny, I think my, as a fan, initial disappointment was when I heard bleep my dad says. Uh, like, originally, uh, you know, right away you're like, oh, CBS is going to. Fuck this. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was rough to like, like I knew kind of right off the bat that like, uh, this is going to be dog shit. Like this is really uh-huh. going to be a bad, a bad well, television show. It was well, just like, did you, were you in the room? Like were people turning to you and going like, is this kind of how it would play out? Or were you just kind of like an afterthought who it's like, all right, we bought his book and he's not been in a room before. So we'll don't worry. We got it. <laughs> I think it was like a little more of that. Um, I think there was some like, did he say anything funny in this kind of situation? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I've been in this situation before. Uh, what would he say about two dates to the prom? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we were doing all those like hacky sitcom stories of like a relative comes to visit and you have yeah. to pretend blah blah blah, you know, like uh oh I found out our marriage certificate wasn't signed. We're not actually married. You know, we were doing all those like yeah. fucking hacky sitcoms. That's stories. such a solvable problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we're married. Here we like go. no one knows. No to be married, it doesn't it's meaningless. No one knows if you're married. It's not a real thing. We it's made up. It's totally but fake. To, in the defense of everyone else in the room, I also would not have been looking to me for any answers. Like I, I was not exuding confidence in that oh, room. Right. I was not like someone where you're like, this kid's a star. Like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that. Well, were you at, I, because at that point, magazines were still a thing. Like, I wanted to be a magazine writer. I thought, and looking at some of the magazines you wrote for, I thought those were pretty cool when I was, you know, in the 90s and reading them. Was any part of you thinking, well, I can just go back to magazine writing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was like, if this flames out, which it's like most likely will. I can go back to, to writing ma- for magazines. Yeah. But it's like when you write for magazines for a while and you're like, um, profiling Chris Pratt, you're like, this fucking sucks. Like it, you start to get like, so like bitter. It, it becomes the same thing over and over and over again. It, the, the paragraph of the writer sitting across or waiting for the person in whatever restaurant or coffee place that the actor has chosen and saying like you know he kicks back in an alpaca sweater <laughs> with a oat latte it's it's unbearable but by the yeah. way all the actors now know that they try to like create a scene in there for you right. when you walk in as the, like, the profiler they try yeah. to like created in their head so that they're like, he's reading infinite jest and he's blowing. Like they're all doing, they're all, they all do that. Like, cause, cause as the writer, you're always just like, Hey, 
where do you want to meet? It could be anywhere. And they're right. like, oh, it's this tiny bar that's that's behind the kitchen of a, a Chipotle that no one knows. Of. You know, like right. they want that. So, right. yeah. It it's, it's all uh, the British office, like Brent mused. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's trying Brent, to write the yeah, article for Brent, Brent quipped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. Um, so what, what year was uh, the CBS show? 2010. Okay. So it's funny that we, Goldie as well, we went through a similar dad-based sitcom disaster um, on dads. And it's funny, we had we had the opposite experience where you had your dad in the audience shouting, I wouldn't do that. We had Peter Riegert, who was one of the stars, who was playing my dad. And he would say, my character would never do that. And I'm like, he's my dad. Yes, he would. <laughs> There was that there was that epic uh, knockdown drag out about the tidy whiteies. Remember that Goldie? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want to wear tidy whiteies, which is so funny because then in the Sopranos he's also wearing boxer briefs in the scene where he gets whipped by Tony, I noticed. <laughs> That's uh, right. So so as a little background like there was my dad always wore those tidy whiteies that were so worn out that they kind of almost billowed like a parachute in gym class. Like they were just, they, they were not tight, but they were tidy whiteies technically. So we wanted to get those for Peter Riegert. He refused to wear them. My character wouldn't do that. It's my dad. Shut up. And he, <laughs> he's like, it's like a 60 something year old man who doesn't want to be on national television wearing tidy white. Like now that That's I'm 50, right. I'm, I'm a little more sympathetic. I, me, too. Go on. <laughs> me too. But then, so Goldie referenced the scene in The Sopranos. Peter Riegert was in that, played Councilman Zellman, who Tony beats with his belt. And he's in underwear in that scene. And the funny thing was, I read about that scene that he was supposed to be naked and he didn't want to be naked. And uh, James Gandolfini stood up for him and said, let him fucking wear underwear, like lay off him. So then I felt worse about our tidy whitey thing. (laughs) He's like, I I can't escape this. They're trying to humiliate. I I do remember that episode ending and for some reason they were sleeping in the office. There was a renovation and that he had... They had raised the tidy whities as a flag. Yes. And then there was an extra who was working in the office who was so funny doing this. He he solemnly lowered the tidy whitey flag <laughs> and they they folded it. Yes. Like it was a funeral, <laughs> like a military yeah. funeral. Yeah. And then they with solemnity in his eyes, like gave him the tidy whities <laughs> and they and they marched out. And I remember going like I love that moment. Of course, no one cared. <laughs> Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Um, so let's let's backtrack to something that was a little more uh, probably of a pleasant experience for you was the book, which became, uh, I think it was a New York Times bestseller for like three, four months in a row. It was crazy in, a, in an era where that's very tough to do because you have so many celebrity memoirs and bullshit, but, you know... Princess Diana this and whatever the fuck. But so what, how did that, what, what was that experience like for you? Like how, how was it launching the book and then seeing it succeed so well? That was the most fun part for sure. Because the book was just, I got to put everything in it. It was very much me. It was like a memoir. It, and, uh, and writing books is, I mean, Goldie, you know, you wrote one, like it, it's, it's gratifying because it's just you and your editor and it's not like a studio executive where you have to like really listen. You can kind of just sort of be like, no, 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 this is what I want to do. And they're they're helping you with it as opposed to like giving you notes. And so that, that was crazy because the book 
debuted at like number eight on the New York Times bestseller list. And I was like, oh my God, forever in my life, I'm going to be able to refer to it as like a New York Times bestseller. And then it just started climbing up the charts, which was crazy. And it stayed at number one for almost like half a year, maybe, or I can't remember, but it was fun. It was like, I would do these like book tours and, and uh, you know, you, you get to like meet the people who actually read it, which was really fun. And most of the time, sometimes people would like project a lot of things onto my dad that weren't my dad. <laughs> right. Like yeah. time I was like in Texas and I was at a book signing and this guy comes up to me. He's like, you know what? My dad hated Mexicans too. <laughs> that's not anywhere my dad my dad does not hate Mexico. what are you talking about like it's like where did you get that from the book that's so funny and yeah i was gonna ask that and i think you just sort of answered it but when you were touring around for the book you must have had hundreds if not thousands of people come up and say you know my dad yeah. actually yeah but that's what makes it so great is like literally it's the barrier to entry is like a dad. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's brilliant in its simplicity. Right. I think that's what really like the two things that really kind of it's like everybody sort of has funny memories of things that their dad says. Right. So it was really accessible. By the way, none of this was like plan. I, I idiot backed my way into all of this because it wasn't like I was like, you know, it would be a great book or anything like that. (laughs) Um, It was just like happenstance. And, and, uh, but it was accessible. And it also was just like this book that everybody wanted to buy for their dads, for fathers. So like, even to this day, that book came out 13 years ago, every father's day, like shoots up the, you know, Amazon charts and I, and I get a check for writing this book. That's so awesome. That's so cool. Do you remember any, because I, I love this kind of stuff. Do you remember any of the books that you kept off the top spot? Like it was like <laughs> Dr. Phil or like some, and you're like, yes, get out of there, asshole. Yeah, yeah. I think that I had bumped, oh God, who was it? It was like, it was some like British Royal. It wasn't like a big popular one, but it was like, I just remember, oh, and here's the other thing that I bumped. Um, Kim Kardashian had a book yes. out yes. that was at the exact same time. And they were clearly trying to get this thing to number one. And it was like, kept bouncing. It was like number two and then go to number three. But it was like one of those things where, you know, they're buying the book. So yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. um, but the funniest story was my publisher also did that book. And, oh. and so that book was um, about her and her sisters. And apparently the, the publicist told me that they had just been with Kim and her sisters and they're sitting there about to go on stage of some show to promote the book. And Kim says, Kim looks at the book and goes, this is about us. Cause she had never seen it. <laughs> the writer of the book had oh. never like the credited writer of this book. And she oh. didn't, she hadn't even paid attention to like what the book was about or anything. She was like, Oh, oh. this is just about me and my sisters. They were like, yeah, yeah. Don't say that when we go out. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. So it's yeah. like she never even sat down to talk with anyone about it. Somebody just put it together without her entirely. Yeah. Well, that's satisfying. Do you, do you have a, a favorite or multiple favorite quotes from that book from your dad? I mean, is there like one or two that sticks out in your mind as the quintessential secretariat of quotes? <laughs> mm. <laughs> well... One of my favorites, which actually wasn't a popular one and nobody else really liked, is and my dad loves documentaries. He lets all he rents. And he rented 
what happens in Vegas, the Ashton Kutcher movie, (laughs) thinking that it was a documentary. (laughs) And so the quote that he said to me was, I rented that movie, What Happens in Vegas. I thought it was a documentary, but it's about some idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. (laughs) There are some more more like profound ones, but that's the one that I just like... Just thinking of him going to the video store and being like, yeah, I want this documentary about the inner workings of Las Vegas. And then put your on the cover of it and him not recognize it. Also, like, how many minutes in did he get? Did he get to Dennis Miller sentencing him to 10 years of hard marriage? And that was the, what tipped him off? Like, Wait, do you question. know about that movie, Goldie? I just remember from the preview, Dennis Miller's a judge. Who, who, isn't that that movie or my yeah, yeah. I crazy? Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. I sentenced you to 10 years of hard marriage <laughs> in the trailer. I never saw the movie. But that just being like an example of, as we are in this strike, an example of maybe the worst type of writing <laughs> where you go, they can end up married but a judge it, it's like a seinfeld premise of like the judge sentences him to be your butler and it's like come on man oh you, seinfeld you mean the greatest show ever yeah that sounds terrible no but that um, was like a, something yes. that they mocked that yes. was that's true. Yes. famously what they said here's the, a, a dumb show yeah here's our bad version of it um so all right now this is kind of interesting to me so you you experience the Twitter success, the book success, you get the show on CBS, and then the show ends, and you probably have a couple of thoughts, like, is it, am I done? Do I, is this it? Or how do you, how did you move on from the CBS show ending to your next opportunities? Yeah, so after it was done, you know, we had gotten an agent once we, once, once the show had gotten ordered, (laughs) an agent... We had yeah, once they knew they could make money, they seemed to hop right in. <laughs> um, and uh, but when the show was done, everybody was like, "Staffing's hard, staffing's hard." <laughs> and so I kind of, and you know, we went on some staffing meetings, and I we had done a good job on, you know, like you guys know, it's like sometimes you're on a show, you know, the show's not working, but you're like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, I'll do the best that I can on this show." Oh, um, I know, <laughs> as do I. <laughs> So we did. My my partner and I, we did the best that we could on the show. And one of the other writers on the show um, got on another show. And he was like, hey, these guys are funny. You should meet with them. And then we met with the writer, the showrunner of this other show, which was called How to Be a Gentleman. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. It I went do, yeah. two episodes. Um, <laughs> but we, but we, uh, we got on staff of that. And then during that, we kind of like at this point now, I knew what failure looked and smelled like. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, this one's not this is not going to be here for the long haul. Yeah, uh, I got We got to like be more proactive. And I wrote a second um, memoir that was sort of like a coming of age one. But it, it had my dad in it because I wasn't stupid. I was still going to have him. In it, <laughs> yeah. sure. um, but it was more sort of like coming of age and, and about like, you know, girls and things like that and and I wrote that book in the meantime while I was on that second staff and that that book became a bestseller too sold far less copies wow Uh, but I but we took that and we pitched that as a show and that was kind of how we started to climb out of where we were right 
What was that's that? Great. What did you call that show? Was it that show was the called book? Surviving Jack? It was on Fox. Uh, Chris Maloney was the lead. Oh, on that right. show. I love um, him. And, and was, were you running that that time? Well, so that show we did with Bill Lawrence, and he was supposed to be the EP, and he was going to run it, but he had like several shows picked up that year, and he was like, oh, "I'll run yours three times, three days a week, and the other one two days a week," and. And the first week he just wasn't there. <laughs> like, ah, all right. Well, here's kind of what I think the show is. And we were with the staff and and we had our first table read and it went really well. And his other show exploded. Like it blew up. It it needed to be like completely reconceived. And so he was like, Well, I'll I'll come over when, you know, I'll be there next week. But we just kept having like pretty competent table reads. God, I would have done the opposite and been like, it's working. I'll be right over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we, but the funniest part was that like, uh, well, you guys know Makos, right? Susanna Makos. Oh yeah, we love her. her. Yeah, Susanna's great. So Susanna was the exec at Fox at the time. And and I think she was like liking the way the show was going. And, but Bill, I told Bill, I'm like, you can't, they have to think you're running this show because if they think it's me and my partner who have two years of TV experience, then they're going to lose. They're going to freak out. Like everything's going to be under a microscope. It's just going to be a disaster. Um, So he was like, all right, well, I'll just come to the table reads. So he would come to the table reads and you could tell he was experiencing the script for the first time at the table. (laughs) (laughs) He hadn't ever read it or anything at that point um, where he'd like, he'd say turns of phrases like incorrectly because he didn't know what the next line was going to be. But to Marcus's credit, like she liked the show. She thought it was going well. And I think she kind of knew what was happening. Um, And and so we got to continue to make the show. But then the show did after eight episodes got canceled. Yeah. It's funny. I, I I thought that show made it a whole season. I do. I do definitely remember that title and and that there was some sort of hoopla around that which probably had something to do with you the creators of uh shit might bleep my dad says you know, <laughs> sur- surviving bleep you know <laughs> the funniest get- part about the bleep thing is that they they it was like dollar sign hashtag x whatever that's what they wanted to title it but what they didn't realize is that you can't search for that on dvr you oh. can't set a recording for it so it was not able to be DVR'd for the first three weeks until they figured out this like tech. Oh, wow. Oh, no. God. Wow. That's just a very funny commentary on the state <laughs> of uh, that side of the business to not yeah. see that problem coming down the pike. <laughs> it's pretty humorous. All right. So then surviving Jack and you're, you've done it. You've, you've legitimized yourselves by repeat business and now showing that you can come to the table with a show, table reads people like, executives are liking you, remembering you. He's so, the dad guy. He's yep. yeah, <laughs> all about the dads. Yeah, we were, I was never called that, even after a show called that. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the dad guy, so we know that. Let's find help. Um, so now uh, you're on, as we discussed up top a little bit, you're on Abbott Elementary. You um, are show running there. You pitched the show with uh, Quinta Brunson. So that's now you're having an opposite experience where now you're on a show that is wildly popular and critically acclaimed. Like, what is what is that like for you? It is so bizarre because most of the things that I've done in my career have 
been like either reviled or not even thought of once. Like no one would even bother <laughs> to review it because who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> you sound so, like Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been really weird. I mean, it, it, it is like, you know, we have a lot of like, I'm, I'm 42. We, we have a lot of writers on staff that are like late twenties early, you know, or 30. And, and so a lot of them, this is their like first or second show. And I'm constantly in the room being like, this doesn't happen. Like, yeah. doesn't happen. like none of you understand. I'm like getting angry. No one's done anything to even merit this anger. But I'm like so angry. I'm like, you don't get it. Like, none of you, um, none of you crawled through shit. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's been really, I mean, also, I'm sure you guys have the same thing. Like, inevitably, when you're a TV writer and you go somewhere that's like not in L.A., and somebody says, what do you do? You're like, I'm a TV writer. And they go, oh, what shows have you written for? And like, I know, I'm like, I and I always will say to them, like, you haven't heard of any of these shows. Like, please yeah. don't, don't make yeah. me go. And they're like, no, I know, I, I'm sure I have. And then you go down your IMDb credits. They have it and they're like, oh, me? You know, like they haven't heard of anything. And it's like humiliating. Marjorie's Staycation? <laughs> and this is the first time I've ever worked on a show where people have heard of it when I like, and they ask me, they're like, oh, I've heard of that. Or sometimes people have seen it, which is fucking <laughs> blowing. Even you better. Yeah. yeah. Well, can we go back to just sort of the, the gestation and development of this show? Because those stories are fascinating. Like, it begins with you meeting with Quinta, right? And this is somehow like a, a through a matchmaking or whatever that now she's in the position you had been in 10, 15 years prior having this book that she's got this chunk of stand-up or this story to tell and is looking for a more senior person to, to help her tell it. Well, sort of, actually. So we, we had cast her in a... We did one hour-long pilot for the CW, the only pilot we've ever written. Um, the pilot was bad. But we cast Quinta in the pilot, and Quinta was great. And at the end of the pilot, it was like one of those, when it, you guys have been in like testing where you test your pilot and stuff, and you get to oh, yes. like you see the dial go up and down. It was like literally any time in the pilot, she wasn't on screen. It was like just this dramatic plunge to, <laughs> to the depths of hell. And then she'd come back, and it'd be like it clots way back up to like halfway respectability. But we were like, hey, if you want to do anything ever, and we knew she was a writer performer and she's, she's really smart. We were like, you know, if you ever have a show you want to create for yourself, like, you know, let us know. And she came in about a month later, so 2017 and pitched us this Abbott, but as an animated show, she wanted to do an animated mockumentary because oh. she was doing, we were, we were bit, we were doing the show called Ari the Quinn. So we were kind of busy, but we were doing animation and she was doing some other show and she didn't have time to like, really like star in anything live action. And it just, we were like, this is a great idea, but it, for whatever reason, we just, everybody got busy and we, we put it down. And then about a couple years later, my partner was on the lot, on the Warner Brothers lot, and he saw her and she needed a ride home. She doesn't drive. And he was like, hey, you know, we were like thinking about this show that you pitched us. Would you want to do it like live action, like instead of animated? And she's like, yeah, I've actually been thinking about that too. And so that was kind of how it started. She came in, she sort of repitched it to us. We kind of helped her break the pitch. And, and that, that was how it all started. Can wow. you give us like just a tiny amount of what the pitch was? Like how it, I mean, do you introduce her and then she starts talking about her experience in this school or how did it unfold? 
Yeah, I remember it clearly. So yeah, the pitch we we started with like a little talk up basically about her and her her comedic sensibilities and why we really felt like she was the lead of a show and why this this show kind of like felt like it was the right time for this kind of show. Um, and then she started it with this story about her mom was this public school teacher who had been a public school teacher for 45 years or 40 years or something. And she tells the story about going to visit her mom at this inner city school, elementary school in Philly, where they were having a parent teacher night from three to eight. And it was like, she came there to visit her mom. She wanted to go to dinner and literally no parent came. It was like, and it was like, this. she's sitting there for like four and a half hours. It's seven 50 at this point. And Quinta's like getting fucking pissed. She's like, Can you just get out of here. And her mom's like, three to eight, three to eight. Right. Like, this is, she's getting really upset. And then at like 7.57, this woman comes in and Quinta's like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> and then this woman has this like really, this woman had just gotten out of the, she had just been working in the ER. This was like the soonest she could come. And she like has this really like powerful conversation with her mom, with Quinta's mom about how to help her kid that's like struggling in this kindergarten class. And Quinta's immediately feels like the biggest asshole on earth. It's like, <laughs> She realizes in this moment, like this conversation is going to change the course of this kid's life. Like right. the, the fact that this mom is like recommitted to like working on helping this kid and how to help them. And, and that was sort of how we start off the pitch is with that story. And I'm I think, almost crying. I know. I know. That's, a great story. that's great. That's, that's great. It was really good. It was a really, really powerful way to like start. The pitch. And she had tons of funny stuff within that story too, you know? Um, and, and that was kind of how we, we had them hooked by the end of that story. You could, you know, that you get that look on the executive face where you're like, Oh, I'm going to sell this in the room. Like this is happening. And that <laughs> was awesome. We and, and so that was at ABC. Yeah. We actually sold it to NBC, ABC, CBS, and not Fox. We sold it to three of the four. <laughs> not they all made Fox. offers. Of um, Good job, Fox. Nice one. <laughs> Fox passed. <laughs> um, but, uh, we sold it to three of the four and then ABC, wow. Um, really kind of just made it clear in their offer to Warner Brothers that that this they wanted it there. Awesome. Awesome. Well And it was I mean, known was there ever any talk like and we'll see if she's the star of it or not, or were they pretty good to their word from the get go? Well, it was pretty funny because when Quinta pitched it to us, she wanted to be like the fifth lead of the show. And we were like, no, you got to be the lead of the show. Like you have, oh, wow. you got to be like, that's what we're pitching. Like we believe in you. You And she yeah. believes in herself. She just was like, Quinta thinks like a writer. She loves being, she loves writing. Like, I think that's her favorite thing to do. So in her mind, she would have been totally happy being like, you know, the fifth banana who has like three funny lines an episode. If she, that's just- the dream actually. Yeah. <laughs> she you're loves- in a trailer all day. Then you come to set and you're like, you know, there's a package for Dave. four takes of that go back to your trailer yeah Yeah. she she was very i mean even in 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 abbott she was like she's like i'm ready for my character to be in just b stories now like i don't need to always be the a story like she she's very much like she's really great to work with i mean she has no sort of ego about it at all and she loves writing so like it's it's more like working with a writer than it is working with an actor. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. She sounds more like an actor if she likes writing so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so what? First of all, congratulations on yeah. the on the Emmy. And Thank you. Wh- what was that experience like for you? I mean, to be nominated, obviously everyone knows that's a thrill in of itself. But then you had to have. You know, you never want to say it, but you had to have an inkling going in like, hey, we might win this thing. I Yeah, I felt like we had a good shot. Um, 
you know, and uh, which, but that was the first time I'd ever been nominated for an Emmy. So uh, that was the first time I'd gone to the Emmys. I'd never, nothing I'd ever done would, I, I never even would pay attention when Emmy nominations came yeah. out. I knew yeah. I was, it wasn't Goldie. even like, maybe this year. Uh, yeah. I think Goldie got caught in Emmy traffic because you didn't know they were happening. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah. One year I was just coming back from the beach and I'm like driving through Hollywood. I'm like, what the hell? Like, and then I get home and it's like, oh, it's the Emmys. <laughs> How would I, didn't I know? even know? <laughs> yeah. The funniest part for me too was that like, um, I have this like, I have some older aunts and one of them will always call. She like loves Hollywood and Tinseltown. She like, calls it Tinseltown. And she would always like call me every few years. She would call me during the Emmy. She's like, are you there? Are you going to win? And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not, not what would I win for? Like what? <laughs> what? Yes. I wrote uh, Chernobyl. It's me. Right. <laughs> but, Did you uh, write big little lies? <laughs> yeah. It went, but being there was it was pretty like surreal for me because you know I wanted to be the like I don't give a fuck who cares the <laughs> awards you know and I was that until I like walked in there and I was like oh I think we have a chance to win this will be cool yeah, <laughs> right of course and then you did. of course um, and so then the the your the show gets announced and what what is that whirlwind like you you know well we our sh- the show doesn't win. So we lose to Ted Lasso. Oh, God damn it. I know. I know. We were sitting right next to their table, too. And if you, it's somewhere in the clip is me going like this. (laughs) Going into a clap. Right. Right. That's the equivalent of uh, Belichick tossing his headset. Yes. Yes. Totally. Totally. We, so we won for writing and we won for um, uh, uh, some of the actors won. We won for casting. Like we won, we won for some other ones, but we didn't win for show. And that was the one where I was like, I was so like, uh, I really thought it was going to happen because we were winning everything else going up yeah, that last moment. And then I really started to feel the nerves come because it's <laughs> like, oh, we actually have a shot at this and we've won all these other categories and, and it's shaping up. And then, huh. then I see Sudeikis stand up, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a goddamn likable asshole. Did you have another speech in you? Because I, I, that was, to me, the hilarious part about the Oscars is this year that that movie won so much, the guy yeah. ran out of speeches, and it just became like, if, you know, you ever think about maybe doing a movie and, like, don't let them say you can't be a person who makes movies. And don't forget, we're now on your like D list of material <laughs> yeah. here, man. Like you thanked all the people. I mean, did that occur to you of like now? What? I think for Quinta, it did because she had at that point had won so many things that like right. I think she was like because I remember we won we won the, we won the Golden Globe for best show, and she uh, got up, but she had already won like three things that night. And yeah, she, and, and, and that was the first time I saw her. She was just like turn to other people I just uh, want to someday get up and go always let them tell you you can't do it <laughs> the most confusing speech I'm like who is that that's great what a quote oh my god well I mean it's awesome and then go fuck I fucked that up maybe <laughs> maybe maybe one day if everybody knows well in advance that Family Guys in its last year maybe we'll get another nomination that's probably the nope. only hope for it nope <laughs> you won't there's that rosy outlook yeah maybe when I'm a hundred I'll be the most athletic I've ever been <laughs> alright no you won't that's not that's, that's a false equivalency um, alright but let's we have we have you here this is 
we're recording this on a Tuesday, and it happens to be Tuesday, May 2nd, which is the day that the Writers Guild is now officially on strike, and you are on the board of the Writers Guild. So tell us exactly how long this is going to last. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the misconceptions about, like, because I get that question a lot about length and stuff, is one of the misconceptions about the, I think, so the Writers Guild. <laughs> so bravo. is you know like the board is we're listening to the membership the membership dictates you know how long things will what we want to hold out for what we don't want to hold out for so we're constantly like all the proposals that we made to the amptp were all based off the survey that we had we gave to writers that thousands of writers filled out about the things that were you know causing problems for them, making it so they couldn't make a year. Like all these things were just coming from that survey. So in terms of the length of the writer strike, it sort of depends on the resolve of our membership, what they want, and also the studios and, and what they'll come to back to the table with. Because as the, the WGA released, I don't know if you guys saw it, they released that uh, document uh, last it. night that was all about what we asked for and their responses to it. And That was a little so, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. It was shocking. Totally it was shocking. shocking. <laughs> and there are major proposals. They just didn't, they rejected the proposal itself. They wouldn't even yes. like counter to it. And that's, that, you know, I'm not a negotiating whiz, but <laughs> <laughs> if somebody, if you're saying, I'd like this, and somebody's saying, I'm not going to listen to you even talk, it's yeah. <laughs> difficult to negotiate. And nothing that we're asking for. It, we're not even asking for what we used to have long ago when the business was much healthier. We're, we're asking to sort of save the ability for people working on television shows to make enough money to live in Los Angeles, you know? And so yeah, right. I think that's, this, that's the position we're in. So I think length is determined by, you know, uh, our membership and, and the studios deciding to have a reasonable approach to this. Well, it's so funny because you bring up this the, this document which anyone can can look at it's on it's up on Twitter. It's where I, I saw it on Adam Conover's Twitter just right. if you're looking to find it that's where I found it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it, it's a very interesting document and it's I mean it is shocking because I was shocked that they just simply refused to engage on multiple issues. Like it seemed like half a dozen things. They were just like, "Nope, we're not even going to talk to you about that." But then what was almost more insulting were some of the issues where it's like, which is a legitimate concern. It's like, well, writers are concerned about AI and we want to talk, we would want to make sure you're not generating scripts based on our previous scripts, just using AI. And they were like, mm -hmm. well, we don't agree with that, but we'd be happy to hold a yearly forum on the advancement in technology. And it's like, what are you? No, okay. so now you're not going to engage with us on this issue, but you, you're going to make us sit through some like weird perfunctory <laughs> yearly speech. Yeah. And they had that I, in a few I want to be in that. I have such a good take on AI. I feel good. Like. Do it. What is like, it? People are so worried about AI. And it's it's sort of the same people who think they're going to be having sex with robots. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's the exact same thing. It's it's like, and then we're going to be fucking robots and watching all this great content <laughs> that, have, and it's like, it's not going to happen like that. When people are like, look at this thing AI generated, it's like, it's garbage. No, I it's disagree. It's all garbage. <laughs> like, I am not concerned that some fucking algorithm, like the Netflix algorithm, the vaunted algorithm, Shows me nothing I like, <laughs> ever. Like this thing that supposedly mastered my mind and is like, 
going to keep me engaged does nothing but anger me. <laughs> and it's like, it's the same thing of like, oh, this robot's going to make me come so hard. It's like, it won't. <laughs> it's not happening. I like couldn't... humans know how to do it. I couldn't disagree more. I could not disagree more oh. with you on that. Yeah, I, I mean, think robots I, are going to make people come really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot wait. No, but I, I think that the thing that was terrifying to me is, you know, a few months ago, there was this story like, uh, you know, AI passes the bar at some, you know, law school. And they gave like the score that it got. And then a month later, it was like, not only passing the bar, but acing the bar like at Harvard. Like it had gone from like it passed the bar at some right. lower level college to a month later, suddenly it was better than anyone. It's cheating. It has the answers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sure does, but we all do. So uh, like I'm not that worried. If I had the answers, I could pass the bar too. It found the answers. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're way off on this. Well, uh, I think you're way off. We'll see. Yeah, I was. Gonna... It's all fucking. It's the same thing we were hearing about NFTs a well, year no, ago, and then we were hearing about Bitcoin a year ago. It's always that like there's there's a grift of like this thing is going to replace this thing, and you better get on board and spend all your money doing it and all your time. And it's like it won't. What's the grift? I hope you're right. I, I, think I, would I hope argue, you're right. I think I would argue that it's our job as at the Writers Guild and as writers to do it in case, you know, if yes, that doesn't happen, that. if that doesn't happen, then great. I'm happy. But like, if you remember, you know, 2007, 2008 strike, everybody was like, there is no what, what, internet's like YouTube shows. Like it doesn't fucking matter. And then, and even for several years after people were like, what did we fight for? We don't know yeah. on the internet. And now 60% of writers work on shows that are covered because we fought for that in 2007, 2008. So I hope you're right. I hope AI never becomes a thing. But on the off chance that it does, we need to protect it. Of course. I agree with that. But I I, I think to me, look, it's as someone, the whole thing, this whole strike comes down to like, what will you pay to keep this thing on a server? Like that's what our careers are going to come down to and the viability of it is just like, how much money can we get for how long you keep this on your server? Because yeah. we're not getting these reruns, these residuals, whatever that we used to get. Oh. One little specific issue that interested me and, and Goldie, it should you as well, because it, it feels like it pertains to Family Guy writers, is is this residual for like gauging how much a show is watched on a certain platform and then basing the residuals on that. It seems to make kind of logical sense based on what we know of how royalties are paid in the past. But imagine that, Goldie, if they could calculate how many times on Hulu, which I'm sure they can and do, they can calculate how many times people are watching your specific episodes on Hulu and you would get something for that. That would be huge. Yeah. What a nightmare that would be to learn. <laughs> They're just skipping over those ones maliciously. Yeah, you just see the charts like this. Every year episode, then it jumps back up it's for a every hammock. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it all all of this goes under the sort of umbrella of our work being devalued, right? Like, I think that that is the l- larger claim from from the Writers Guild is that, like, on every level in every sector of the business our work is worth less than it was before because they're pay- they think it's worth less. They're paying us like it's worth less. But in reality, it's worth more than it's ever been worth to anyone. They're making larger profits than they've ever made before. We, you know, if they want to play sort of, if they want to play the game of shareholder prices and showing them exponential growth, 
that has nothing to do with us. We are making them a huge profit. And if that profit is made, we need to have an equitable share of it. And that's what we're saying. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Um, I was talking to David Goodman this morning and he had said about the, the terms that were released. He was saying that this is the first time that they've released the terms this early in the negotiations. Usually we don't get to see these. And he said that it's not uncommon for the, the first um, negotiations to look like this, but it's, good for all of us to have this transparency so that the writers know what they're striking for, so that the people who aren't writers understand why the writers are striking. Because it, you get to see how unreasonable the negotiations really are. It's like, here's what we're asking, and here's what they're not even willing to counter with. Like yes. there's, So I, I just felt like we'll probably have talked about that in our David Goodman interview, but you know, it's important to understand that. I think yeah. that's a huge thing too. And that's one of the things I love about the Writers Guild is like one of the ways that you can combat these like giant conglomerates that have thousands of lawyers and comms people is to just go full transparency on your side. They don't know what yeah. to do when that happens. It's like, oh, we'll just show everything. We'll show our members everything that's going on. And then they can see for themselves. And it be, it and I think it's I've been really, really proud of the guild leadership and the comms team. I think that they've done a really good job of just like informing our members, hey, here's what we're fighting for. Here's what they're saying. And make up your mind. It's right there. It's, 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 you can look at it yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's, those are all great points, JC, really n- nicely said before. Um, so now you've been very generous with your time, and uh, this is certainly a, a – a topic we could talk about. I'm sure we will as the as the weeks stretch on well, more and more. But, but before I, we conclude this yeah, topic, I just I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I Can had I, one more question too, but go ahead. I just want to seriously, and I'll make the same offer to Goodman. I am offering myself, if you need me, to go into any room and go absolutely fucking ballistic <laughs> in a career-ending way. Yes. My question was almost it's eerily similar to what you just said, and I think you just answered I will it. be the cannonball fodder for this. <laughs> if you just need someone to go fucking nuclear. I was I was waiting for the right time to bring out this story for you, Goldie, because I was definitely going to bring it out here, because... Uh, a lot of t- uh, people very often write uh, writing staffs that I've had and stuff like that will comment on that. They think that I'm very dark, <laughs> like it, it gets very, very dark. Oh wow! And then well, the other day someone was like, you might have the sort of darkest outlook on life of anyone I've ever seen. And then somebody <laughs> else goes, except for Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> was that other person my wife? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, but Goldie, when you said that, it's a, it's it's amazing. We were thinking about the same thing. I was going to ask Justin if, like, you know the negotiators. Do you have a mad dog on that crew? Like, is, is there someone you're like, we're we're sending in Brenda today? They're fucked. <laughs> but now we know it can be Goldie. Now we you know go. if we 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 play some WWE music and you can bound through the doors of the MPTP. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, 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 or or Natalie and Brulia's torn. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. To just yeah. to confuse them. Uh, well, anyway, Justin, uh, I mean, congratulations on all your success. You've had uh, a combination of all of it: meteoric rises, you know, hilarious failures, 
And now you're sitting pretty on the best show on network television, best comedy for sure. Uh, so congratulations yeah, on congratulations. all that. And and thank you so much for coming in yes. to talk with thank us today. You. And good luck in this in this fight for all of us. Yeah. No, thank thanks so much for having me. And and also my very first spec was a family guy spec. Oh yes. wow. Wow. Awesome. Well do you remember the do you remember yeah, I got the, goosebumps just thinking about it? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you remember the uh, A and B story? Do you, do you do you remember the story of it? Oh fuck. I I think it was that Quagmire had uh, an illegitimate child that came to live with him and that he, it was bad. It was bad. It was not a good spec. <laughs> uh, but by the way, I think it was better than you think. Cause I think we did that exact story <laughs> and I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was after your spec. So well done. Somebody got their mitts on it <laughs> and said, let's take advantage of this writer in our guild. <laughs> All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to Thanks. see you. Guys. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, so great talking with Justin Halpern. <laughs> he is great. Goldie, I know Funny. you got him here. Thank you. That was you awesome. Him. Yeah. What he's a guy. Hilarious and a great guy. Yeah. A really good guy. Very funny. All right. And now let's get to a portion of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. Oh. Okay, this was mine this week, and it's top five professions that allow you to be an asshole. All right, I'll start. Number five, got to have a little self-examination here, writer. I feel like people talk about, oh, he's got a writer's temperament. That means you're an asshole, and everyone is supposed to forgive you because you're creating such it's genius. so hard oh. with those ideas that I need to lash out at you. Right. Yes, the written word. Uh, number four could have been higher on the list, but it seems like kind of a clam. Attorney. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. enough has been said about that over yeah. the years, for sure. Uh, number three, bouncer. Oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah, Bouncers yeah. are so, they're just, it's like, they're the little uh, kings of yes. the five square feet one. of space outside their bar, and they can be such. Sounds assholes. fun though, doesn't it? Yeah. Bouncing. Well, yeah, you bounce. Yeah. yeah, I bounce. <laughs> I mean, if I could be like six five and you know ripped, maybe it'd be easier. Um, number two, and this one I can't really figure out why, but I found this to be the case. Um, realtors. Like, I don't oh. understand, like, why they feel... They, it's not even that they're outwardly assholes because they're trying to please you, but they get very hurt and offended easily. That's true. Like, That's true. you can work with a realtor, and then five years later, somewhere else, you buy a house, and they'll find a way to get in touch with you. Like, oh, you thought it was cool to buy... Okay, thanks. <laughs> I know I showed you around six years ago. It's very annoying. Yes. Uh, number one, we've talked about this on the show before. Conductor. Oh, <laughs> right. What is up with these <laughs> entitled assholes? That's why Ta was such a good movie. Tar was so fun because they kind of sh they showed that. But I don't get it with a guy who just pushes play on a CD player. <laughs> like, how do you get to be the biggest what? asshole in the world? Agreed. All right. Who's next? It's me. Goldie. Yeah. Uh, number five, airline worker. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They yes. live for it. <laughs> uh, number four, professional athlete. Oh, Because yes. you're good yeah. at one thing. Yep. You can yeah. be baseball, a dick. Baseball players in wow. particular. Wow. Oh, and hockey. 
Yeah. And I'm just going back to my high school, just all the people who played hockey were dicks. (laughs) Uh, Number three, a little bit of overlap. Bouncer, I'll widen it to just say security guard. Yeah, yes. It's just all you can't stand here. It's like anyone can stand anywhere. It's (laughs) fine. (laughs) Uh, Number two, overlap, writer. Yes. And number one. Head of the AMPTP. Oh, yeah. Union, yes. Union, yes. Oh, I love your list. It's a wonderful list. <laughs> That's my Bernie Sanders. All right. That's great. Go okay. ahead, JC. My number five, surgeons. Oh, you know, yeah, they play that's God. Good. Yeah. They yeah. play God. Um, number four, debt collectors. Um, yeah. That, I mean, kind of follows. Th- yeah, I mean. They're very scary too. When it they, sounds like you've had some personal. When I was much there. younger, I was very scared of this one debt collector. I was like, "Take Janice? all my money, Janice." <laughs> it's Michael. I've been trying to reach you. Yes. Um, number three, TSA or customs agent. Yes. You know, try to get one of those people to crack a smile. Um, number two, lawyer, attorney. Yeah. And yep. number one, paparazzi. Oh, oh yeah, good. Fucking assholes. Very good. Yeah. Oh, um, you've been hounded for years. <laughs> I can't get rid of them. <laughs> Please get out of my face. Let me live. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, that was fun. What do we got next week? Next week it's top five dogs. Mm. Ooh, I like it. Okay. Individual cool. dogs or breeds? Uh, breeds. I was going to say, but I don't know okay. what sh- we can make. What do you mean by individual? Well, I don't dogs? know. Like, There's like Lassie dog. and you know, oh no, I think Clifford. Breeds? What do you guys yeah, breed, think? No, okay. breeds okay. is the way to yeah. go, I think. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. Should I put dog breeds? There you go. <laughs> there That's go. the way to say that. <laughs> we'll cut that in with AI. With AI. <laughs> um, all right. Fun top five. Looking forward to dog breeds next week. And now let's end the show, as we do every week, on a high note. And Goldie, to hop on your number one, my high notes, the Writers Guild, baby. Yeah. We're doing it. Good We're standing job. up for ourselves. And I, we pointed this out before, but the strike authorization vote was 98%. You cannot get 98% of people to even say that Michael Jordan was good at basketball. There would still be more than 2% <laughs> who would say, no, he wasn't. Right. So for us to have a 98% mandate Solidaire. is huge. And uh, I think it's... It's great what we're standing up for. Yeah, that's cool. I'll just second what you're saying, and that we're also lucky we have very intelligent leadership, yes. too. So, yeah, you yes. know, I have a lot of faith in them, which makes it much easier to uh, sit in my bathrobe for what could be an hour, what could be months. <laughs> yeah. I, hope it too, I hope it's not too long. Um, I'm going to, you know, I loved our guest, Justin Halpern was amazing. I love all of our guests, but I, I, you know, look at our numbers for the people who download and stuff. And I'm still trying to figure out why John Mulaney was, I mean, I get it. We're, (laughs) I love our podcast, but the fact that he reached out to us to ask to be on our podcast feels sort of like he, we weren't doing it for him. I felt like he was doing it for us. Like he listens to our podcast, he likes it. And it was almost like, He's not going to need to promote his special on our podcast. I felt like he did it to help us. And it really, I, the numbers 
speak. They, they've yeah. definitely helped. It's definitely helped. So yeah, I, it was nice of him to post about it, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He had a busy week. He yeah. did. So he's, yeah, the numbers were through the roof. And Goldie, still... did that remind you of a... I don't know if we're teaching radio or radio's teaching us. <laughs> What's <laughs> One that? One of your favorite lines. Pretty sure we were teaching him. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was a fun show. Thank you to our guest, Justin Halpern, who was, yeah, was awesome. Great. Thank you two for being awesome. Thank, Thank you. you all for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. Oh, yeah. I am free next week. That was fun!